Good morning, Fellowship family. I'm going to invite you to stand as we end our Risen series. I want you to sing with me. I'm going to invite you to sing to a, a risen Savior. He's alive forever. He uh, rules forever and reigns forever. And we can worship Him this morning uh, in that. So if you know it, sing along. We're going to celebrate Jesus together.
Hey, Fellowship Church, my name is Jeff Redding and I'm on staff at Pine Lake Church in Mississippi and I wanted to reach out and just say thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Not too long ago, tornadoes wreaked havoc across our state and it wasn't very long after that, one of your elders, Mickey Rapier, he reached out and wanted to know how you guys could pray for us, but he also sent us a very generous gift on your behalf that's gone to families and people all across our state directly that were impacted by those tornadoes. We've been able to tell them there's a church in Northwest Arkansas that believes what we believe, that there's a God in the heavens who loves them. We've been able to take them the love of Jesus because of your generosity. It overwhelmed us, it encouraged us, and it just reminded us we're not in this alone. So it's a privilege for us and an honor really to partner with you to see the kingdom come and to bring the love of Jesus to people that are hurting. And so I just wanted to say thank you for your generosity. Pray you never stop being a generous church and I hope you have a great week. Well, good morning, fellowship. It's been a beautiful week here, weekend here in Northwest Arkansas, and I'm so glad that you've joined us for worship this morning. And it's my prayer that this would not just be routine that this wouldn't be about your morning worship and your uh, lunch and on into your afternoon, but you would meet with God here today. And so I'm glad you're here. And I wanna start by just echoing the video and saying thank you. Thank you for being a generous church. Um, you've given generously to our disaster relief fund and all of those funds are being dispersed. We've been sending money to Little Rock 
and to win Arkansas. And as you saw on the video to Mississippi, we're still sending money to families in Springdale, all of whom have been touched by a disastrous tornado. And so I just wanna say thank you for being generous and you are appreciated. If you're our guest today, we'd love to meet you. We'd love to hear about you and your family and maybe schedule a time to, to grab a cup of coffee. Come out to the central booth and let us know who you are. Hey, leaders, it's Lattes for Leaders Sunday. If you're one of our community group leaders, we wanna say thank you today. Across the hall in the Family Center, we've got a special beverage for you. We've got tea or coffee or lattes. We also have a gift for you that we would love to give you. And just right now, would you say thank you to our small group leaders, our community group leaders? Fellowship Rogers is not just a church with small groups. We're a church of small groups, and those are led by our community group leaders, and we thank you. Hey, we've got a class we wanna alert you about coming up this summer. So beginning on June 11th, we have our Align class offered by the Training Center, and this is a class that helps you uh, organize your thought biblically around your finances, and it puts some tools in your hand in order to, to live a life that glorifies God when it comes to your finances. So join Don Reed. You can register for the Align class right now through your fellowship account. We'd love to have you there. And also, uh, if you're new to fellowship and you would like to join a small group, then we're going to start a small group the first Tuesday in June. And so it'll meet here on campus in our Rogers community office, which is located just north of the lodge. And it's just an open group. And, and you can just come and join, and we would love to have you come. So Tuesdays um, at 7 p.m. in the RCO building, we'd love to have you. Open community group, come and join us. Hey, young adults, maybe you've moved here to Northwest Arkansas to, to start your career, or, or maybe you're uh, making a move to, to find a new community, and we'd love to meet you, and we're gonna make it really simple. Every Thursday night this summer, we're gonna be out in the West Field playing volleyball and uh, sitting around and, and forming communities. So if you'd love to, to meet some other young adults, then join us out there. It begins at 5.30. Now, if you don't know if you're a young adult or not, you're not. <laughs> don't come there and be creepy. All right. <laughs> I really said that, didn't I? We would love to meet you. Hey, this morning, we're gonna celebrate with the Allen family, and we've got a baptism. Hey, Jack, you wanna lead us out? Yes, thank you, Sam. My name is Jack Roberts. I get the privilege of working with elementary age kids and families here at Fellowship Rogers, and I'm joined by Bryce Allen. Bryce, why don't you make your way down, buddy? Uh, Bryce is a sixth grader at Shiloh, uh, and this year it's just been uh, so sweet to get to know him and his family. Actually, my wife and I, who got married recently, uh, were led through Merge by their family, and so it's just been really sweet uh, to be able to prepare for baptism today. Uh, a little bit about Bryce this past year from what I have seen. Uh, I met Bryce and connected with him after an FSM service uh, this past, uh, I guess it was this past year, yeah, a year ago today, around this time. Bryce asked me, he goes, hey, Jack, do you mind if we pray together? And I just got a sweet moment with Bryce to sit down. I didn't know Bryce and kind of got to hear his heart for the Lord. And uh, it sounds like since then, I've, had a, I've really had a front row seat to see what Christ has been doing uh, in Bryce's heart. And John and Katie's parents can attest um, that it's been really sweet and it's been transformative. And so uh, this morning, uh, I just want to speak real quickly what I've, a few things that I've seen in Bryce's past year. Bryce is kind to all those he comes across. 
Uh, Bryce is hardworking. Bryce is curious and eager to learn, but more than anything, Bryce has a deep, earnest desire to grow in his walk with the Lord, which is exciting. And so Bryce, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you look this way, buddy. Bryce, I'm excited for you, man. I'm really excited because today, baptism gets to be a symbol that you not only get to do in front of your family, but look out real quick. Look at all these people. This is our church, and you get to show the church that you're committing to follow Jesus the rest of your days, and that's exciting. And so before we do this, I got one question for you, Bryce. Is it your story that you've chosen to repent of your sin, to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and to commit to follow him all the days of your life? Yeah. Well, then, Bryce... It is my honor to baptize you. Hold your nose. There you go. Oh, you know, not holding the nose. Okay, here we go. It is my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, and raised to walk in the newness of life. Let's go, dude. My soul is broken. 
on high with Christ my Savior, my God.
Jesus lives, our great high priest, that we live and that we will live with him forever. Thank you for being our cornerstone. We know that the weight of everything that life has to throw at us and that we bring to you would crumble under the weight of anything or anyone else. So thank you for being a rock that we can stand on. We love you. We praise you. Amen. Well, open your Bibles this morning to the book of Revelation. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Today is the final week of our six-week series entitled Risen. We began this series the Sunday after Easter, and each week we've been taking an in-depth look at some post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. By the way, Next week, we will start our new series, our 10-week summer series entitled Rhythms. And this summer, we're going to go back to the basics and just study the spiritual disciplines. And so we're going to learn about prayer and reading the Bible and fasting and and worship. And so we do have a companion study guide available for that. They're on sale in the foyer. Pick one up today and then bring that with you next week as we open up that series. So today is our last day studying the post-resurrection ministry of Jesus. Let me remind you that these appearances were designed, they were intended to accomplish three things. First, they were there to provide evidence that Jesus is alive. Not only do we have an empty tomb, but we also have an alive Jesus who carried on his earthly ministry after the resurrection. He appeared to many. He talked with people. He walked with people. He ate with people. He instructed people. So it provided evidence, but it also gave us insight into the the unique nature of the resurrected Christ. Jesus in resurrected form is the same, but he's very different. He put his divinity on display and he uh, showed us supernatural abilities and and attributes. And we get to see a, a glimpse of what the risen Lord, the heavenly Lord is like in these post-resurrection appearances. And then lastly, Jesus delivered final instructions to his followers. He commissioned them to 
carry on his work after he left this earth. So not only have we seen these three things over the past few weeks, we'll also see all of them today in our passage. So let's go to the the last book of the Bible, and it'll be our last topic in Risen. We have delivered to you six selections from his post-resurrection appearances. The series is not all-inclusive. These aren't all of the post-resurrection appearances. In fact, we skip two of the most prominent ones, Jesus appearing to Thomas and Jesus appearing to Peter and his companions on the shore because we covered those just last year in our John series. In fact, last week we threw you a curveball. We looked at not only a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus, but it was also a post-ascension appearance. This occurrence was not only after the cross and after the empty tomb, but after Jesus ascended to heaven, he made an earthly appearance in resurrected form to Saul on the road to Damascus. And today, we're going to look at the, the final recorded resurrection appearance of Jesus, his appearance to his disciple John on the island of Patmos. And it also occurs after the ascension. And you're going to see today, this is an epic Scene. So go to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Look with me at Revelation chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 9. It says, I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. I was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now this encounter is going to feature the beloved disciple John. This is one of the sons of Zebedee. This is one of the sons of Thunder, the beloved disciple of Jesus. The location is the island of Patmos. This island is located on the Aegean Sea, just uh, west of the coast of of Turkey, southwest of Ephesus, where John's pastoral ministry is believed to have occurred. Now, for those of you who are going with us on the Journeys of Paul tour in just a few weeks, we're going to spend a whole day on the island of Patmos, and we're actually going to visit the cave where John is believed to have received this vision from Jesus. Now, historians believe that John was actually imprisoned on Patmos. He was banished there for proclaiming the gospel news about Jesus. John even references it in verse 9, that he was suffering on the island because of the word of God and the testimony, his testimony about Jesus. So John was enduring trial and tribulation as a result of his ministry. And we're going to see that in the midst of his pain and his suffering and his hardship, the Lord is going to show up in a big way in his life. And it just reminds me that often the Lord speaks to us when we're in the fire, when we're in the valley, when we're struggling. And that was certainly true for John. So while being banished and isolated on the island of Patmos, John shares a peculiar thing that happened to him. He was worshiping the Lord. He was in a time of devotion. He describes it as being in the spirit. 
Note this, that even though John was suffering, he was still seeking the Lord. What a, a model for us. And then he heard a voice. It was a loud voice. A voice like a trumpet. It was a voice that commanded his attention. And that's what a trumpet does. It puts us on alert. It lets us know to anticipate what follows. And the voice instructed him to write down the vision he was about to be given and then share that with the seven churches that existed in the first century Asia Minor. And that's why this is called the book of Revelation. John had a vision revealed to him and he was to share it with the church. But who was speaking to him? Who was the loud voice like a trumpet that was calling for him to, to listen and to record? Well, look at verse 12. It offers a powerful description, John said. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands. Those represent those churches. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Whoa. What an epic moment for John. He turned around to see the source of the voice that was speaking to him, and he turned, and he saw someone like a son of man. Now, this should grab your attention. When the scriptures use that phrase, the son of man, it's most often used to describe the promised Messiah, the Christ. We saw this in our Daniel series just a, a few months ago in Daniel chapter seven. Daniel is given a vision of the return of Christ and he said, I saw one like a son of man coming on the clouds. John described him this way. He was adorned with a robe like a priest, and he had a golden sash around his chest, like a royal figure. So the initial impression is kingly priest. I think you see where this is going. His hair was white like wool, pure like snow without spot or blemish. His eyes were like blazing fire, eyes that could pierce into eternity, that could see through the shallowness of man and into the heart. His feet and face glowed with brilliant light, as bright as the sun, light prepared to shine into the darkness. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. It was powerful, it was unstoppable. And then out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword where his words that he would proclaim would be perfect and inerrant and true and authoritative, able to cut to the depths of the human heart and soul. Now at this point, John wasn't certain who stood before him, but he knew that it was, he was in the presence of the divine, that this was a messenger from heaven. He knew that he would now stood on holy ground and the whole scene overwhelmed him. Look at his reaction in verse 17. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. 
Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. John was so moved by this supernatural manifestation of divine revelation that he passed out. He fell to the ground as though dead. He could not accept in his mind what he was perceiving. He became so overwhelmed that his his faculties shut down and he fell to the earth. Much like the prophet Isaiah crying out, woe is me, when he was in the presence of God. Much like Moses at the burning bush who hid his face when he was in the presence of God. Much like Saul who we looked at last week, when he found himself in the presence of the resurrected Lord, he fell to the ground, blinded by the glory of God. Here, John collapsed in reverence, in fear, and in awe. Have you ever had a moment where you knew without a doubt that you were on holy ground? That you were in the the presence of God? Have you ever had a moment where you knew that you were encountering the living God, that he was speaking directly to you? If so, you'll never forget that moment. This was that moment for John. But he was not left on the ground. After calming his fears, the divine figure revealed his true identity to him. He said, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. Look, I am alive. John was in the presence of the risen Christ, the immortal one who overcame the grave. He lay prostrate before the resurrected Jesus. And the risen Lord had a message for him. He said, I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus, the immortal one, the one who overcame the grave, the first and the last, said, I hold authority over death and over the place of the dead. Now, this is a key piece of information. In fact, I think we should highlight it, and I think that we should remember it. The immortal king holds the keys to eternity. The immortal king holds the keys to eternity. Jesus determines our eternal destiny. And those who align themselves with him, who place their trust in him, who place their faith in him, who place their belief in him, will spend eternity with him in his heavenly kingdom. And the opposite would be true as well. For those who reject him, who treat him with ambivalence, who are conflicted about him, who are indecisive about him, they'll find themselves on the other side of the gates. When it comes to eternity, Jesus holds the keys. And our response to him will determine our destiny. The scriptures are clear. Not everyone will enter his kingdom, 
but only those who place their faith, their hope, their trust in him. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through who? He said, except through me. Eternal life is in his hands. He alone is the pathway to heaven. Now, this message delivered by the resurrected Christ was such an important one that as he traveled through the book of Revelation, revealing all the apocalyptic things that were going to happen and the wars and the antichrists and the horses and the battles, at the very end of the book, Jesus speaks again about this very concept. So turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. This is the last chapter in your Bible. And these are the last words of the resurrected Christ. And guess what? He's restating the same thought that the immortal king holds the keys to eternity. Here's what he said. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they might have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. One day, Jesus has promised to return and he will rule and reign over his kingdom. And his coming is soon. It is imminent and it will be definitive. He will have the last word because that is his very nature. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and he is the last. And listen to what happens in the end. For those who believe in him, who place their faith in him, they will be washed of their sins and enter his kingdom. They will enter his gates. There they will find life and blessing and reward for all eternity. The one who holds the keys will let his followers through the gates. What an incredible promise for us to cling to. Words that deliver hope and peace. But look at verse 15. It goes on to convey a warning. Some will remain outside of the gate. Outside are the dogs. And he lists a selection of sins. It's not all inclusive. It's just representative. Those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The promise is followed by a warning. For those who remain unrepentant in their sin, they will be left outside. For those who do not place their trust in the king, there is no key. Those who don't turn from their sin will be left with the penalty of their sin and they will not join the king in his kingdom. The scriptures 
are clear. The immortal king holds the keys to eternity. Jesus determines our eternal destiny. Our belief about him is the pivotal factor that will decide our everlasting future. Jesus is the key. Now you may be thinking that this sounds exclusive. This idea of some being in and some being out, it feels not very loving. It sounds discriminatory or exclusionary or elitist. It sounds narrow. A few theologians have labeled this teaching on the exclusivity of Christ when it comes to salvation as the scandal of particularity or particularism. But let me be clear. This is exactly what the Bible teaches. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says it very clearly. Salvation is found where? In no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. Orthodox Christianity holds to the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith alone and Christ alone. The immortal king holds the keys to eternity. Now, the reason it might bother some of you is because it contradicts a widely held cultural belief called pluralism, which teaches that all religions are equal. And by the way, all truths are equal. That's called relativism. That all religions, according to pluralism, lead to the same heavenly destination, meaning there is no right way or true religion. All are equal and all lead to the same end. And the Bible denies this pluralistic world view. And it proclaims Jesus as the exclusive way, the only way to heaven. But I want you to hear something. While salvation is exclusively found in Christ alone, it is at the same time intensely inclusive. Jesus holds the keys to heaven, but hear this. He offers himself freely to all. Amen? It's a members-only club that offers everyone a free membership by grace. Through faith. The scriptures say that salvation is found in no other name but Jesus. And at the same time, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. His promise of forgiveness and eternal life extends to everyone. It's for both men and women, for young and old, for rich and poor, for sinners and saints. For white collar and blue collar, Democrats and Republicans, immigrants and citizens, black, brown, white, all races, all nationalities. John 3.16 says it perfectly. For God so loved the what? That whoever, whoever believes. God so loved the world, he gave Jesus his son so that whoever believes. 
It is an intensely inclusive invitation. And at the same time, it's a narrow road that leads to life, that whoever believes in him. It doesn't say that whoever believes in whoever, but whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's both exclusive and inclusive all at the same time. This week, we lost a giant in the faith. Dr. Tim Keller went to be with the Savior. I thought we would honor him with this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves. Sorry. One of my heroes. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. Amen? Hey, let's bring it to a close. The passage today has given us both a picture and a message from the resurrected Christ. And it's reminded us of some truths about Jesus, so let's review. It gave us a picture of what Christ is like. Whoa. If you've got in your, your mind the picture from your children's Bible of what Jesus is going to look like when you get to heaven, you might reorient He's going to be bigger and more powerful because he is the all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal king of the universe, the one whose rule and reign will know no end. He's not going to be of this world because he created this world. And if you were to catch just a glimpse of his true glory, you would be overwhelmed. This is what he is like. We also learned who he is. He made all of these I am statements in the text. He made it clear that he is the immortal and eternal king, that he's the author of all human history, that everything that is and has been was created by him and for him and is under his providential rule and hand. When he said that he is the root and the offspring of David, he's the promised Davidic king, first and the last. And certainly, we all need to be reminded of what Jesus has promised, that he holds the keys to death and Hades, and that he's going to reward each person according to what they have done, and that his return is imminent. One day, every person in this room will stand before the immortal king, and you will give an account of your belief that you profess or reject, and the life that you have lived. And don't be misinformed. When it comes to expressing saving faith, you're either in or you're out. It's all or nothing. There are no participation trophies handed out at the gates of heaven. You know, I think today's passage calls for a decision. You know, for me, as I read these words of the resurrected Christ, it's a line in the sand moment. A declaration has been made. 
a decision has been called for and future accountability looms. Your destiny will be determined by your response to Jesus. So let's do some soul searching this morning. When it comes to Jesus, where are you? If Jesus holds the keys to eternity, are you in right standing with him? If he were to return today, would you run to him or would you run from him? Maybe you've been contemplating, giving your life wholly to Jesus, but you've been dealing with some doubts or some intellectual difficulties. You've been struggling, overcoming some hurts that have been inflicted upon you, maybe even by the church itself. Maybe you've drifted from the Lord and it's time to return. The faith of your youth has been weakened by bitterness or regret. At the end of your days, whether you die and face the king or remain alive until he returns, the question will be the same. Have you believed in the one sent from heaven to save your soul? Have you bowed a knee to him in faith? Are you following him in faithful obedience? This is not a question that should go unanswered. And maybe it's time for you to come to Jesus. He asks you to respond in two simple ways. Repent and believe. Repent. Turn from sin and self and ask the God who is holy to forgive you where you've strayed. And then believe. Believe in the one sent from heaven who died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay the penalty of your sin. Would you pray with me? And I wanna give you some time this morning to talk to the Lord. Remember, he's alive. And I just wanna give you a time to pray. And maybe today you need to, to pray a prayer of salvation, professing belief and asking the Lord to forgive you for the first time. Or maybe you need to talk to an old friend because it's been a while and you need to return to the faith of your youth. Spend some time with the Lord. Well, Lord Jesus, we profess this morning that you are the risen Savior. You have overcome the grave and you've created a pathway to heaven for us. And so, Lord, we confess our sin. We profess our belief and ask you to give us the right to enter the gate. And Lord, as we come to commune with you, as we come to your table, I pray that you would prepare our hearts. It's in your name we pray, amen. We're gonna conclude our series this morning by taking communion together. So the elements will be passed, they're double cupped. If you would hold those, we'll take them together.
sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. The Lamb is overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. Jesus alongside my fellowship family. If you need prayer, uh, there's people in the prayer room that are willing and waiting to pray for you this morning. And if not, y'all be safe as you go. We're dismissed.